be seated, and as you do, join me as we continue to pray together. Rock of Ages, you are a strong and sturdy refuge and shelter. Lord, help us to hide ourselves in you. Help us to put on the Lord Jesus Christ and teach us what that means today. Lord, we look into your word and we pray that you would open our eyes, that we would behold wonderful things in your word. Wonderful things about your character, your grace, your beauty, your truth. Things that would captivate us. Things that would enable us to trust you more and more. We believe that faith comes by hearing and hearing by your word. And so Lord, give us faith today. Increase our faith in you. Lord, we believe. Help our unbelief. We pray you'd sanctify us by the truth. Your word is truth. Help us, Lord. Help our affections to match the truth of this passage. Lord, help my demeanor now to match the urgency of this passage. Open our eyes, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Church family, I'm so thankful for you. It's so good to sing and celebrate together. What a moment for us to enjoy God's grace in song. Let's continue worshiping our God by looking into His Word together, studying His Word together. The plan is to finish up Romans 13 this morning, and then God willing, we'll spend the next few weeks in the incredibly significant Romans chapter 14. This morning, Romans 13, verses 11 through 14. Follow along in your copy of God's Word. What a joy to read and to proclaim God's Word to us this morning. Paul says, besides this, you know the time, that the hour has come for you to wake from sleep, for salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. The night is far gone, the day is at hand. So then, let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires." This is the life-giving Word of our God. May He use it to wake us from our slumber. Well, if you're anything like me, you always know what time it is. It seems like no matter where we are these days, there is a clock in view somewhere. If I wake up in the middle of the night, you know what I always do? That's right, I check to see what time it is. Like, why? (laughs) What does it matter? I have nowhere to be, and yet I have this insatiable desire to know what time it is. Our vehicles have clocks. We wear clocks on our wrist everywhere we go. And now the modern way to tell time is to look at our phones. Right? The biggest and most prominent data on your lock screen is the time. I can remember a day when it was much more common to be asked the time by someone who genuinely didn't know what time it was. Excuse me, sir, can you tell me what time it is? But now it is rare to be in a place where we don't know what time it is. 
to not know what time it is, at least for me, feels a bit disorienting. We are slaves to the time. We know what time it is, but do we know what time it is? Are we aware of the time, the moment in which we are living right now? Are we aware of the hour in which we live? Listen, God is timeless. God is eternal. That is, He is above time. But God has a time. God has a a kairos, a moment, an opportunity. And we are called to be aware of that moment, aware of that time from God's perspective. Part of being living sacrifices and being transformed by the renewal of our minds is to keep watch on the moment in which we exist in history. And Paul tells us in this passage what time it is. He tells us and he gives us a sense of urgency about the time we are in. Notice what time it is. Verse 11, Paul says we know the time. What do we know? What time do we know? Paul says that the hour has come for you to wake from sleep because salvation is nearer than it has ever been. Also in verse 12, Paul says the night is far gone. That is literally, it is well advanced. The night is well advanced. That is, it's almost over. Thus the day he says, is almost here. Now, Paul is certainly referring to the second coming of Jesus in this passage. That is the day we are awaiting when our salvation will be full. We exist in a specific moment. We exist in this age nearest to the day breaking through the darkness. That's the moment we live in. And so Paul is urging us to live in light of the second coming of our Savior. The day is at hand. It is near. Like the morning is near when we wake up just before our alarm clock goes off. The alarm is about to sound. The night is gone. We know the time. We know the moment in which we exist. And yet, it's not enough to merely know what time it is, and what is almost here. Paul is urging us in this passage to live according to that knowledge. To let that knowledge that darkness is gone and day is here, to let that knowledge propel us and fuel us for a life of urgency that this passage calls us to. Besides all the ways that Paul has already commanded us in chapters 12 and 13, besides the call to love our neighbor as ourselves, we are We are called to do all of this with an urgency as we anticipate the full salvation we will be given at the second coming of Jesus. I see three main commands in this short section. And don't forget that all of these commands in Romans 12-16 through are given to us by the mercies of God and are to be obeyed by the mercies of God. So motivated by the good news of the Gospel, here is what we are called to do. We are called to wake up, to clean up, and to suit up. Wake up, clean up, and suit up. I'm going to try to cover those first two really quickly because I want us to spend some unhurried time in verse 14 and the command to put on the Lord Jesus. So first, Paul says, wake up. 
Wake up. Verse 11 tells us what hour has come. The hour has come for what? For us to wake from sleep. Sleep time is over. Now, Paul is writing this to Christians. So wake from sleep is not an encouragement to experience justification. This is not you are spiritually dead and you need to be raised to life. No, Paul is rebuking these Christians because of their moral slumber and spiritual laziness. They need to wake up spiritually. You see, if we're not careful, we can sort of just drift into a spiritual apathy that is equivalent to falling asleep on the job. Like Jonah in the bottom of that ship that was being ripped apart, we can so often be spiritually apathetic that we are oblivious to the significance of the moment we are in. We are called to offer ourselves fully to God as living sacrifices. The opposite of that is spiritual laziness. Moral apathy is incompatible with a life of being transformed by the renewal of our minds. And so what does Paul do? He splashes cold water on our faces and he calls us to wake up spiritually. Friends, an urgency should characterize our spiritual lives. An urgency. In Romans 12.11, Paul said that we should never be slothful in zeal. Is it ever okay to be lazy and apathetic? Is it ever okay to not be zealous for the Lord? No, we're to serve the Lord, he says, with a fervency of spirits. Wake from sleep. Wake from spiritual indifference. Wake from moral stupor. But why? Why should we wake up? What's the big deal, Paul? Notice what he says in verse 11. He says, because salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. Now that statement is so obvious and yet so often forgotten, is it not? <laughs> what if we could always remember this truth? That our salvation now is nearer than it's ever been. Salvation is nearer to us in this second than it was when we first put our faith in Jesus. Now, it seems to me that there are two ways that this is true. Each day we are nearer either to our own death and seeing the Lord face to face, or the one Paul is emphasizing here, we're nearer to the second coming of Jesus when we will be fully glorified. Each second brings with it a greater urgency because that is one second closer to being with the Lord or meeting the Lord in the air. We are closer right now to meeting the Lord than we were when this service first started. Think about what this means for aging. Getting older, which all of us are doing, should make us more spiritually awake. Right? Getting older should not cause us to lag in zeal, but to intensify our alertness and sensitivity to the things of God. In other words, the nearer we get to glory, the more awake spiritually we should be. So how do we know if we are being spiritually apathetic and lazy? How do we know? Because, because listen to this. One of the characteristics of being asleep spiritually is that you don't know you're asleep. 
Did you hear that? You could be asleep and not know you're asleep. And so how do you know if you're asleep spiritually? How, how can we tell? Well, here are a few ways to evaluate yourself this morning. We are asleep spiritually when we are not sensitive to the Holy Spirit. Do you ever let the Holy Spirit interrupt your schedule and your routine? Do you sense the Spirit guiding you in your actual life? If not, it may be because you're asleep. We're asleep spiritually when we're not praying constantly. Like, is communion with God for you rare or regular? Are you asleep spiritually? Are you asleep spiritually? We know we're, we're so when we don't live with hope. We're asleep spiritually when we don't live with the hope of eternal life, hope of glory. When we aren't trusting God's promises and looking forward to eternity with our Savior, we are lazy. We are asleep spiritually when we're in love with this present world and the pleasures of this world. Nothing will put us to sleep faster than rampant worldliness. Rampant worldliness will put us to sleep spiritually. And Paul will get to this next. So wake up, Paul says. Wake up. Because the day is at hand. The night is gone. The day is here. And so don't stay in bed when day has dawned. Wake up and get up. And I'm praying even now that God is using this to, to waken us, our, our spiritual senses, to wake us up spiritually. But here's the question now. If, if you wake up, if God wakes you up spiritually, what next? Well, I'm glad you asked. Paul tells us. Number two, notice clean up. Clean up. We're to wake up, but secondly, we're to clean up. So what do you do when you get up in the morning? Well, hopefully, before you head out of the house, you freshen up a bit. Maybe you wash your face. You take a shower. I hope you brush your teeth. You clean up, right? Well, in verse 12, Paul says, The night is far gone. The day is at hand. So then. Because that's true, so then, because the day is at hand, let us cast off the works of darkness. Take off your night clothes and start living as if the day is already here. You see, we live in this already not yet reality of salvation. We have salvation in Jesus, but the fullness of that salvation is not yet here. But we know that that victory is sure. We know it is coming. So even though we still live in the hour of darkness, we are called to live as if it's already day. Even though we live in the moment of darkness, we live in that moment where the day is about to dawn. And so Paul says, go ahead and start living as if the day is already here. We're to live with the full knowledge and hope that that day is here. So the works of darkness have no place in the life of a Christian who is fully devoted to being a living sacrifice for the glory of God. As 1 John 1.6 says, if we say we have fellowship with God while we walk in the darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. Look at Romans 13.13 13 again. Verse 13, let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and sensuality. Not in quarreling and jealousy. This is an interesting list of the works of darkness that Paul gives here. Obviously, this isn't meant to be exhaustive, but rather representative of some of the ways that the church in Rome was struggling 
But notice what he lists. He lists first orgies. This refers to wild and unrestrained partying. Some translations say reveling or rioting. It basically refers to indulging in rampant immorality. He also lists drunkenness. Drunkenness is a complete lack of self-control by excessive alcohol or drug use. It's not sinful to drink alcohol, but it is sinful to be drunk. It is a work of darkness that we are to put away. Put it away. He lists next sexual immorality and sensuality. This refers to all manner of pleasure-seeking through lust, adultery, sexual relations outside of or before marriage, pornography of all kinds, and unholy fantasies are to be cast off, put away, and cleaned up. And then notice the last two works of darkness Paul lists, quarreling and jealousy. These are two respectable sins that religious people particularly struggle with, right? Causing strife in the body of Christ is a work of darkness. It is easy to say you don't struggle with the really gross sins, but do you have an unhealthy craving for always wanting to be right so that you're always arguing about nothing important? Do you struggle with being envious of others and the advantages that they've been given? That is a work of darkness that is to be cast off. You see, as our salvation draws near, we should be putting to death the deeds of darkness in us. We should be battling the lust of our eyes and the pride of our hearts with every ounce of strength we have. In verse 14, Paul says, we're to make no provision for the flesh. We're to make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. In other words, don't feed your flesh. Don't dabble in sin. Rather, starve your flesh. Don't give it the opportunity to indulge itself. Flee from sin. Put off the works of darkness and walk properly as in the light, as in the daytime. Now, let me be the first to admit that killing sin and cleaning up the works of darkness is impossible in our own strength. We're called to do it, but we cannot do it in our own strength. Sin is powerful and it grips our hearts more than any of us realize. And so how can we do this? How can we just put off the works of darkness? How can we just sort of clean this up? This is certainly something easier said than done. But the best counsel I know for the lifelong fight against sin is right here in this passage. Notice the third and main counsel of these verses suit up. We're called to wake up, to clean up, and to suit up. In verse 12, Paul tells us to put off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Like a garment, we're to take off the works of the flesh, but we're not just to take it off and leave it. We're rather to put something else on. We're to put on the armor of God. And Paul further clarifies that armor in verse 14 with the command, put on the Lord Jesus Christ. There it is. This is such a gracious command. Put on Jesus. Put on Jesus. Here's what we're to be doing in the already not yet reality in which we live. Here's what we do when we wake up every morning and before each moment of our lives, we clothe ourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ. How do we make no provision for the flesh? We put on 
Jesus. Now, church family, I'm zealous for us to get this connection between putting on Jesus and casting off works of darkness. How do we battle the temptation to darkness and sin that constantly exists in our flesh? How do we do it? Well, I've found that there is only one thing in my heart that is more powerful than desire for sin, and that is a greater desire and delight in King Jesus. You see, when Jesus is our greatest treasure, we have a superior pleasure to what sin offers us. Sin offers, sin is, sin, sin offers pleasure, and it is alluring. Please hear that. We're not sticking our hand, head in the sand and saying, oh, who would ever want to do those things anyway? Sin is powerful. It is alluring. It is attractive. But friends, Jesus is so much better than what sin offers. We have to battle the works of darkness by loving the light more than the darkness. You see, the darkness loses its lure when we are captivated by the beauty of the light. I've tried it all, friends. I've tried all of the stuff. Willpower, fear, threat, shame, external rules. And I have found that none of those things are ultimately have power to break the battle of sin, to break the allure of sin in our hearts. But friends, the delights of knowing and enjoying Jesus enable us to say no to our sinful flesh. You see, I believe that putting on Jesus as verse 14 calls us to do, falling in love with Him, beholding His majesty, is the key to holiness and spiritual awakeness. This is the key. Beholding the glory of Christ. Seeing in Him a treasure more valuable than anything sin could offer to us is the key to being a living sacrifice that offers ourselves fully to God in spiritual awakeness. Let me try to illustrate this. In Greek mythology, there was an island known as the island of the sirens. The sirens were extremely deceptive, demonic creatures that could disguise themselves with incredible outward beauty. When ships would pass the island of the sirens, the sirens would allure the sailors with their beautiful songs, with their attractive appearance. The sirens knew just what to, to say, to sing, to captivate the sailors' hearts. However, what would happen is when the sailors would, would veer off to go follow these beautiful songs is their, their ship would crash on the hidden rocks beneath the surface and the sirens would kill and eat them. Well, there were two men in Greek mythology and their crews who did not succumb to the siren songs and beauty. The first one was named Ulysses or Odysseus. After hearing about the sirens and this journey he was about to make, he, he came up with a strategy, or at least he was told a strategy. He was told that the strategy should be to force his crew to put wax in their ears so that they couldn't hear the siren songs. And so he commanded them to fix their gaze on the water in front of them and to row for their lives. Do not look to the left or right, but row as hard as you can and get past this island. However, Ulysses had a different strategy for himself. In his curiosity, he wanted to hear the beauty of the siren songs. 
He wanted to hear what everyone talked about and how beautiful they were. And so what he did was he had his crew strap him to the mast of the ship. He commanded them not to untie him for any reason, no matter what he said. And as you can imagine, Ulysses was utterly seduced by the songs of the sirens. If he had not been tied to that, that mast, he would have certainly given in to the invitation of the sirens. You see, inwardly he was saying, yes, yes, I want that. But outwardly he was strapped and prevented from indulging. His hands were restrained, but his heart was captivated by their beauty. Is that how you live your life? Is that how you live? Always wanting to indulge in sin and wickedness, but shackled by your fear and your shame? Friends, I shudder to think how often that's true of me. Desiring to experience the pleasures of darkness, but kept from doing so by some external thing. Is there a better way though? Is there a better way? Well, there was a second man in his crew who made it safely past the island of the Sirens. His name was Jason. And Jason's strategy was altogether different. In order to make his journey safely, Jason brought along a musician of incomparable talent named Orpheus. Orpheus was a master on the, lute, on the, on the lyre and the flute. But Jason didn't strap himself to the ship he didn't fill his ears with wax or his crews, but instead Jason instructed Orpheus to play his most beautiful songs. The sirens didn't stand a chance. Jason and his men paid no attention to them as they freely and safely passed the island. Why? Because they were captivated by a superior sound. There was something more beautiful that their hearts were captivated by. They were mesmerized by something far more desirable. You see, both men passed the island safely without giving in to the sirens. However, which one of those do you want to be? Which is the better picture of the Christian life? Somebody could argue, well, it doesn't really matter, does it? I mean, both passed safely without giving in to them. I mean, does it really matter? I would argue that Jason's way is far more desirable because friends, I don't want to live my life always wanting something I can't have. I don't, want to, I don't want my life to be captivated by something that I'm always having to say no to, but that I really want. I want my life to be captivated by a superior affection. I want to indulge in what is most satisfying. I want my heart to be supremely happy. And I think this is what Paul is saying in verse 14. He is saying, fight to put off the works of darkness by falling in love with Jesus. That is what it means to put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Put Him on as your supreme delight. Put Him on as your greatest treasure. Would it be pleasurable to engage in all kinds of sexual immorality and drunkenness and have unbridled quarreling with people who disagree with me? Yeah. For a time. But all those things are so short-lived and they leave you wrecked in the end. But Jesus offers something that no sin can offer us. Jesus offers to satisfy our souls for eternity. Jesus offers what no one else and no experience can give us. And so put on the Lord Jesus Christ. And in doing so, you will make no provision 
for the flesh to gratify its desires. Listen carefully, friends. By the Holy Spirit, we have the power to say no to sin and yes to Jesus. By the Holy Spirit, we have the power to say no to sin, not because we're afraid of the consequences, but we have the power to say no to sin because we hate it. We despise it. And we have the power to say yes to Jesus because He is so supremely glorious to us. And so make no provision for the flesh. Don't plan on sinning. Don't daydream about sin. Don't seek comfort in it. Don't flirt with sin. In light of this passage, we could say, don't think that a wild night of drunkenness and partying will satisfy your cure for loneliness and boredom. Don't entertain the idea that adultery and sexual immorality will meet your unfulfilled romantic desires. Don't entertain the thought that being jealous of others will make you feel good or better about yourself. Don't think that always being right will make you feel like you're really somebody. Make no provision for the flesh. Instead, put on the Lord Jesus Christ. That is, fill your mind with the promises of Scripture. What does it mean to put on the Lord Jesus Christ? It means fill your mind with the promises of Scripture. Sink the good news of the Gospel deep into your heart. Stare at the beauty and majesty of your Savior. Be as united to Jesus at all times as the very shirt that clings to your flesh. Put off the works of darkness and put on the Lord Jesus Christ. This is a deliberate, intentional, constant decision to fill your mind, to fill your heart with the truth and beauty of your Savior. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ as a command to be good at looking upward and outward to the Lord Jesus. Be good at looking away from yourself and be good at looking to Jesus. Jesus is better than sin. He is more satisfying. He is more desirable than all that sin could offer. And so replace desire for darkness with enjoyment of Jesus who is the light of the world. We sang it just a second ago. Temptations lose their power when thou art nigh. When Jesus is close to us in our heart and our minds, temptations lose their allure. And so wake up, friends. Wake up. Clean up. And suit up. Put on the Lord Jesus. He is the armor of light. Here's how John Bunyan counseled us based on the full armor of God in Ephesians 6. Bunyan said, Christ Himself is the Christian's armory. When He puts on Christ, He is then completely armed from head to foot. Are His loins girt about with truth? Christ is the truth. Has He put on the breastplate of righteousness? Christ is our righteousness. Are His feet shod with the gospel of peace? Christ is our peace. Does He take the shield of faith and the helmet of salvation? Christ is that shield and our salvation. Does He take the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God? Christ is the Word of God. Thus, He puts on the Lord Jesus Christ. By His Spirit fights the fight of faith and in spite of men, of devils, and of His own evil heart, lays hold of eternal life. Christ is all in all. No matter where you are, no matter what you're doing, this is the best counsel of all. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ.
May our gracious God help us to wake up, to clean up, and to suit up by putting on the Lord Jesus Christ. The time is now. The time is now. The hour has come. The darkness is about to end. The day is here. Now for those who are here who are not following Jesus, you need to hear the warning of this passage. The day is at hand. The time of darkness is imminently coming to an end. Jesus will come and He will judge. And so you need to put your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ for your salvation. We have to be in Jesus before we can put on Jesus hourly and daily. We are all sinners. Our sins are offensive to God. This list of darkness in some way has characterized all of us. But God Himself has provided a way of salvation through Jesus. Jesus lived a perfect life, sinless in every way. He died on the cross and He rose again for our salvation. And Paul has taught us in Romans that if we trust in Jesus, we are counted as righteous in Him. We are clothed with His own righteousness. And so to put on Jesus in this moment is is to be clothed with the righteousness of Jesus before the Father. Trust Jesus to do that for you right now. Repent of your sin and confess and believe that Jesus is Lord of your life and Lord of your salvation. And then united to Jesus by faith, we can daily put on this armor of light. This very passage right here, Romans 13, 11-14, was used of God to save a man named Augustine in the year 386. Augustine was trapped in a world of darkness and sin. But he was sitting in a garden and he heard a child singing, take up and read. Take up and read. And so he grabbed a Bible by the providence of God open to this very passage. And he, by the grace of God, put on the Lord Jesus Christ. And his life was dramatically changed. I pray that God would do that for you right now right here. Let's pray together. Come, Lord Jesus. Maranatha, Lord, come. We long for the day of salvation to to be realized, to be full. Lord, help us to cast off this, this darkness, these works of darkness. Help us to cast off the desires of our flesh and help us to put on the Lord Jesus Christ. I pray for those in this room that are not trusting in Jesus. God, I pray that you would do what you did for Augustine. I pray that you would open their eyes to the truth and beauty of Jesus. And that this day would be a day that transforms them for the rest of their life and for all eternity. Oh God, show us Christ. Show us his beauty. Show us his glory. That we might fall out of love with all of the stuff of this life. And we might be captivated by the superior beauty of King Jesus. And it's in His name that we pray. Amen.